Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I pray you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome all of those who are joining us via our live stream this morning. We're so grateful that you're with us and able to worship with us today. I uh, also want to welcome the venue service meeting right down the hall and Reach Church DeSoto. Thank you for joining us as well. Revelation 20, um, to catch us up to speed a little bit here, we were out last weekend and back in Revelation this weekend. The context is the end of the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation in Revelation 19, we studied it. Christ returns with the raptured church. And there's the battle of Armageddon. Um, we just watch Christ fights, fights our battles for us. And the enemies of Christ are put down. Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. And then Christ inaugurates what we know as the millennial kingdom, the historical reign of Christ on this earth for a thousand years. Um, this is the only context in which we get uh, the thousand years. That's where we get the millennial reign, the thousand year reign of Christ. While it's only mentioned here, it's mentioned uh, six times in seven verses. I think God wanted us to know. I think he made it pretty clear. It's going to be a thousand year reign of Christ. While the thousand year portion is only mentioned here, the idea of the kingdom is replete throughout scripture. Uh, you cannot really read through any of the Old Testament without eventually encountering very quickly information related to the millennial kingdom. In fact, the information that we get from Revelation 20 is pretty small in comparison to all the information we get throughout God's word. And just to give you an indication of how often it's found in scripture, I want to give you some of the places in the Old Testament where it's found. In Deuteronomy 30, it mentions the kingdom. 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 2, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 12, Isaiah 24, 32, 35, and 60 through 65. Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 30, and certainly Jeremiah 31. Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 36, and Ezekiel 40 through 44, we get the exact dimensions in the specification of the millennial temple. It's mentioned in Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Zephaniah, Zechariah. It's replete throughout God's word. Jesus in Matthew 19, 28 referred to it as the regeneration. He was speaking to the apostles. We'll look at that a little later. He says, you'll rule with me in the regeneration. In Acts chapter three, it calls it the times of refreshing. Oh, and it will be a time of refreshing. It also calls it the restoration of all things. My favorite though is Ephesians 1, 10, that it's an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the heading up of all things in Christ. That paradise lost will be paradise regained. The visible earthly reign of Christ for a thousand years. Christ will reign as king of kings and lord of lords over all creation. I believe we see this sequentially throughout the book of Revelation as we've been studying it. The book of Revelation, uh, the large majority of it dealing with the tribulation in chapters 6 through chapter 18. In chapter 19, we see the return of Christ, the battle of Armageddon. In chapter 21, we're going to get to see a new heavens and a new earth. 
And between the return of Christ in 19, the new heavens and new earth, what do you get? You get chapter 20, and you get the millennial kingdom right there. And then next week, we'll look at the great white throne judgment. What will it be like? We get some information. We'll talk about it this morning. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, there's a lot we don't know. Only two people who really know, Adam and Eve. They got to experience it. We'll experience it again one day. Let's read this passage. I think it's worthy of reading it all together. Then we'll work our way through it. Look with me. Verse 1 of chapter 20. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would be would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. Do you see that word thousand years used over and over again? After these things, he must be released for a short period of time. And then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped, and those who had uh, worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for how long? A thousand years. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks very plainly to us, not only about what you have done in the past, not only about what you are doing today, but one of the great blessings and privileges of being your children is that you tell us what you will do. And Lord, I pray that you would make the truths and the principles of this passage clear to us, We might understand more of who you are, what you will do, and we align our will with yours. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know Christ, they would recognize him as the final priest and king, the Messiah, the only means of salvation, and I pray that they would trust in him today. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we see here the first thing that's going to happen if Christ is going, to have, is going to establish his earthly reign for a thousand years. We've got to get rid of Satan. We've already gotten rid of the uh, Antichrist and the beast. They've been cast in the eternal lake of fire. And so we see in these first three verses the removal of Satan. Look in verses one and two. It says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who's the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. The part that stuck out to me is that the angel goes and binds him. There's a lot of speculation over who the angel is. Many believe, and I am inclined to believe, although we don't fully know, I'm inclined to believe this is the archangel Michael. But whoever it is, the part that sticks out to me is the fact that God just simply says, when the time comes, you go get Satan, bind him up, cast him into the abyss. Almost if, as it's no real big deal to God, That when God has used Satan for his purposes and he's done with him, he just casts him into the abyss. He doesn't even do it himself. He just says, angel, go down there and take care of him. I love it. The angel doesn't even go down. I don't think the angel wanted to go in the abyss. He threw him into the abyss. He just cast him into there and Satan is bound. He's bound in the abyss. Uh, This is not the final place of torment. The final place of torment is the lake of fire. This is a holding place. In fact, you'll remember we've seen the abyss mentioned several times in Revelation and with the the sounding of the fifth trumpet, 
uh, there were some of these demons released from the abyss and brought about part of God's judgment on the earth in the midst of the tribulation. You'll also remember in Luke 8.31, the Gerasene demoniac that Jesus encounters on the other side of the sea, and he is possessed by many demons. In fact, they call themselves legion, and they recognize who Christ is. is an interesting Satan knows, the demons know who Jesus is. They recognize his authority and they begin to plead with Jesus, don't cast us into what? Don't put us in the abyss. We don't want to go there. Cast us into these swine. And in many ways right there, Christ is merciful. But the abyss is a place of, of torment. It's a place where the most vile and evil of all the demons are held until they are finally and fully cast in the eternal lake of fire. And here Satan is bound. We also see that here we find some titles for Satan. My translation says dragon. Uh, your translation might say monster. And that's probably the, uh, really what this word uh, means and describes best. It's a vile, unclean monster. And that is what Satan is. It calls him the serpent of old. That right here, God is reminding us this is the same guy who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. And he's still doing what he's always done. And now, you remember in the garden after Satan deceived, God made a promise, Genesis 3.15, I'm going to send someone who will defeat Satan, put him down, crush him, but he'll be wounded in the process. And here is that individual, the serpent of old, and God is fulfilling what he said he would do. He's also referred to as the devil and Satan, meaning he's the deceiver. That's what he does. If Satan speaks, you can be assured it's a lie. He's a liar. He's a deceiver, and he's the accuser of the brethren. And he's bound for a 1,000 years. Look at, look at verse 3, and, they, and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him. Uh, I, when I read this, uh, you think of being sealed up. Christ died. And I picture Satan trying to seal Jesus up in a tomb. Put a stone over it, influence the Romans, the Jewish leadership, put a guard in front of that tomb, and yet all the power in the world and death could not hold Jesus because death had no claim to his life. But here we see Satan is bound and he is sealed and he will only be released when God has need of him one final time. We see here he's bound. The truth of the matter is today, Satan is not bound. Satan is very much at work today. He is called the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians 2, you're dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who's now working, now working in the sons of disobedience. Paul said to the Corinthians that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. He's attempting to blind the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel and the glorious face of Christ. Peter tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have an adversary today called the devil and he's very much at work influencing our world and opposing us as we seek to grow God's kingdom. And the fact of the matter is this knowledge of this battle, this spiritual warfare that's taking place today reminds us that we must always stay on the alert. We have an enemy, 
I think one of the great deceptions of Satan is to lull us to sleep and to make us think that we're living in peacetime. We are not living in peacetime. We're living in a day where there's a great battle being waged all around us, a spiritual war. And that is why scripture is contained with so many commands that remind us to be armored up by the word of God and filled with the spirit so that we might live powerful and victorious lives in the midst of this battle. But we're engaged in a battle. Satan is not bound today. He's at, he's at work today. His judgment was pronounced at Calvary when Christ cried out, it's finished. But right here, the actual execution of that sentence becomes reality. During this thousand years, however, he's bound, he will no longer deceive. It's interesting that those who enter in, we'll talk more about this in a minute, but those who enter into the tribulation, so those people who survive the tribulation, who have believed in Jesus, who have trusted in him, both Jew and Greek alike, they will live into the kingdom and they will still have a sin nature. Um, so while we're in the kingdom, Satan no longer has any influence. They still have a sin nature, and the opportunity to rebel still exists. How do we know there's an opportunity to rebel? Because at the end of the thousand years, Christ will release Satan one more time. And you would think at this moment, with the visible reign of Christ, you think nobody would rebel. And yet, guess what happens? There'll be a great rebellion. I think Satan will do the same thing that he's been doing. He will deceive those people into thinking that you think you're happy, but you're not really happy because you're not really free to do whatever you want, and he'll lead one final rebellion. So those people who live into the kingdom still have a sin nature and the opportunity to sin, but certainly there will be no spiritual warfare, no influence of Satan in the, in the kingdom. Now, Satan doesn't make you sin, but he, he certainly creates environments that stimulate our flesh, does he not? Boys, I was reading this this week and just some of the stuff that's been going on in my life, I think, boy, I cannot wait till we get to a place and a time. That's why I think scripture calls it a time of refreshing. You ever take a vacation and you just say, I just need to get away. I just need some time to refresh uh, the stresses of life, the pressures of your work, maybe a family, you just, I, I, I gotta go to the beach, or I gotta go to the mountains, I gotta get away, I gotta refresh. But the fact of the matter is, as best we try to do that, we really can't get away, can we? We, we? we always know we're in a battle. There's always stress and pressure. You know why I think the Bible calls the kingdom the times of refreshing? Because that is the time when we will truly be refreshed. Because there will be no influence of Satan, no spiritual warfare. For the first time, we'll be able to rest in the lordship of Jesus Christ. No injustice, peace will rule, and righteousness will prevail. Then verse four, look there. Then I saw, because there's gonna be some folks who rule and reign with Christ. Who are they? Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So during this thousand year reign, Christ rules. No more politics, no more religion. Christ reigning in perfect righteousness and peace. But Christ has promised that there'll be some people who rule and reign with him. Who are those people? Well, in the Old Testament, this is just one verse, we can look at several, but in Daniel chapter seven, verse 27, God promised that the Old Testament saints would rule and reign with him. Jesus promised the apostles 
Matthew 19, 28 that I mentioned earlier. You who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall, shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So you have Old Testament saints, you got the apostles, New Testament believers, those of us who have trusted in Christ are also promised that we will reign. In uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? 2 Timothy 2, 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And right here we find that last group who will reign with Christ. It's the tribulation saints who have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. So really, you've got three main groups who rule and reign with Christ. You have the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints, when they die, their spirit goes to heaven, their body went into a grave. But at the end of the tribulation, Old Testament saints will be resurrected in their glorified bodies. And in the millennial kingdom, they'll reign with Christ. You've got Old Testament saints, you've got New Testament saints, the apostles, and those of us who have believed, the church, and then finally, you have tribulation saints. We will be given uh, glorified bodies. Um, don't know exactly what that will look like. I think you'll be about 34 years of age. How about that? 33, somewhere in there. Um, you'll be tall. Bill's praying he's tall when we get that glorified body. 6'5". That's stretching it, Bill. Goodness gracious, don't. Don't overdo it, man. Um, but we will be given glorified bodies and we'll rule and reign with Christ. Uh, in verse five, look with me there. The, dead, uh, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead. That's the unbelievers throughout all the ages. Um, they will not be resurrected until the end of the millennial kingdom and they'll face the great white throne judgment that we'll talk about next week in verses 11 through 15. The first resurrection though, that's the resurrection of all the saints throughout all the ages. Then look at verse six. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. The great comfort that you and I have it's not that we won't face death. We will. Apart from the rapture, we're all gonna face death. The great comfort that we have is that we will not experience the second death. A lot of people are afraid of death today. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we got no reason to be afraid of death. We might be curious. We have no reason to be afraid. It's the final great step of faith. We had a brother in Christ, one of our faithful deacons. Friday night, Tony Mills went to be with Jesus. I had many conversations with Tony recently. He said, Pastor Chad, I'm ready to go. In fact, I'm not even sure why the Lord is keeping me here. His wife, Terry, had already gone to be with Jesus. Uh, just last week, he was serving at a door, greeting, ready to go. He wasn't afraid of death. Listen, if you want to be afraid of a death, be afraid of the second death. The second death is the eternal death in the eternal lake of fire. That's a death to be afraid of. And the promise of God in Scripture is that for those of us that know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we will never be touched by the eternal wrath of God. Isn't that good news? So, we'll not have a part in the second death. But he says also that we'll be priests of God and of Christ. Now, Peter tells us today that we're a kingdom of priests. 
In fact, we talked often about the priesthood of the believer. As priests, what do we do? We offer sacrifices. We could go into that, another sermon for another day. But part of our great joy is that we get to, as priests of God and of Christ, today we get to worship Christ. And what else do we do? We lead other people to worship Christ as well. That's part of our job as priests in this world today, that we encourage people. We're an intermediary. We, we tell people about the good news of the Father and his love through Christ. And we, we, entre- we tell people, we entreat them, we encourage them, trust in Christ so that you may have a relationship with your Father. There's no greater joy in all the world today than leading a person to trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And the beauty of this is what we find out right here is that same work we will get to carry on and do in the midst of the kingdom. So think about this. We, we will rule and reign with Christ in resurrected bodies, and we will be priests of God and of Christ, and we'll have the opportunity to lead people in Christ. And you say, well, in the kingdom, how are we going to lead people to Christ? Well, know this, no non-believer will enter in the kingdom. So those who live through the tribulation and enter in the kingdom, there'll be no non-believer who who enters. All of those people will be believers. But those people will marry and they will repopulate the earth. In fact, how do we know that we repopulate the earth? Because I believe it would be a very small group of people who live through the tribulation and enter into the kingdom. But by the time you get to the end of the millennial kingdom, you've got a great multitude of people who rebel against Christ. I think it's very similar to Noah after the flood and the judgment of God on the earth. Noah and his family repopulated the earth. So you've got people who still have a sin nature, still having children who have a sin nature. And those children, those individuals will have need to trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And the great blessing of God that he'll give to us today is that you get to do what brings you the most joy in this earth today. You'll do perfectly in the kingdom that you'll lead people to trust in Jesus Christ. You'll tell them not about a Christ who they can't see with their eyes, Isn't this good? Right now, we tell people to trust in him that they've not seen. As as Peter says, though you've not seen him, you love him and are filled with inexpressible joy. But we will come alongside people and we'll tell them about Jesus. And they'll ask ask us about those scars in his hands. And we'll tell them that Jesus is our king, but he's also the lamb who died. And they'll say, are you kidding me? The king, Jesus, died? Yes, he died. Why did he die? He died for your sins. And we'll have the opportunity. So listen, if you don't like winning people to Jesus here, you're not going to like heaven either. You're not gonna like the kingdom anyway because that's gonna be your job. That's what you're gonna get the opportunity to do, to be priests of God and of Christ. Reign with Christ for a 1,000 years. The millennial reign of Christ. Let me see if I can summarize this as best I can. So basically today we're waiting on, we're looking for, if you wanna know the keys to prophecy, what are we waiting on? There's three keys. Number one, you're looking for the regathering of Israel. Has that happened? Yes, it has. Shake your head yes, you know that. All right. Israel's a nation, right? They're there. Check that box. The second thing we're looking for is uh, Paul tells us in Thessalonians that it will not come until the apostasy comes first. So the first thing is we're looking for the regathering of Israel. The second thing we're looking for is a worldwide turning away from God and his son Jesus. Does that sound like our world today? Uh, This is one of the other reasons why I can't be a post-millennial because I do not believe that we're gonna usher in the kingdom of God. I believe that ushering in the kingdom of God is gonna require divine intervention. Christ is gonna have to come set it up. But there's a worldwide apostasy and the final thing, guess what we're looking for? We're looking for one man, Antichrist. Because the world believes, the world believes that if they could just get one guy, do we not see this occurring today? It's, all, it's always been, if we could just get one guy who could bring about unity and peace, then it would be great. 
And I think it's why they're duped so easily uh, in the midst of the tribulation to grant all power to this one man, Antichrist, who initially will bring, bring peace, but then it, he's gonna pull the rug out from underneath their feet. And so we're waiting on that one man. There's gonna be the rapture of the church, then the beginning of the tribulation. God will renew his purposes with Israel. There'll be a grand tourney of Israel to Christ. There'll be a, uh, a multitude, 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. How about that? Preaching the good news of Jesus Christ in the midst of tribulation. You'll see many people come to faith in Christ. The judgments will be poured out, the, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls. It'll continue to increase, increase, increase until what? Chapter 19, Christ returns. The church returns with him. The raptured church returns with Christ. The battle of Armageddon, the enemies, the rebels of God are put down. Those nations that are rebelled against him are put down. Uh, Christ then, he's gonna renovate the earth. Uh, it's gonna be brought back to its pristine condition. I think it's gonna be very similar to the Garden of Eden. We don't know. Only Adam and Eve know. And those Old Testament saints will be resurrected and they'll rule and reign with Christ as priests of God and of Christ. Resurrected bodies. You and I, the Old Testament saints, you and I, tribulation saints, will have resurrected bodies. We will not die. They're glorified bodies. We will not die. Um, we will not marry. So those of us who are ruling and reigning with Christ, if you want to think of it this way, there's two groups in the midst of the kingdom. Those who rule and reign with Christ and those who lived through the tribulation, believed in Christ and enter into the tribulation. And those are those who marry and have children and repopulate the earth. But those of us who uh, are resurrected, We'll have glorified bodies, we'll not marry. You remember Jesus, they brought that, the Sadducees brought that question to him about the woman whose husband dies and she marries his brother and then husband dies again and I can't ever figure out why these men keep marrying this woman whose the husband always dies. It's weird to me, I don't know. But they got this question and they use it to prove because the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection and they use this trick question, we're gonna stump the preacher and they can't stump Jesus and Jesus says, you don't understand the word of God. Uh, they only believe the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible, God had declared, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of the living, not the dead. He says there is a resurrection. And he says, you guys don't understand the power of the resurrection because in the resurrection, there will be no marriage. Now, for some of you, you're saying, oh my goodness, I can't imagine not having my husband. Some of you are saying, praise the Lord. I do not want to deal with him for, um, but no marriage. The fact of the matter is, listen to me, when you get there, Carrie, you won't have to deal with him for the, the, the kingdom, all right? I know. She's got a mansion in heaven, Bill. She does. <laughs> but uh, what an amazing thought. We'll be so caught up in the glory of Jesus that none of that stuff will matter. Inexpressible joy. Um, Jesus will visibly rule now we see through a glass dimly, then we will see face to face. He will rule as priest and king. In the Old Testament, there was no one individual who was both priest and king. Why couldn't you have one guy be priest and king? Because absolute power corrupts, absolutely. But there's one man who can handle it. His name is Jesus. He rules in perfect righteousness and peace. Um, he will rule from Jerusalem, the beloved city. Isaiah tells us that the land will round uh, Jerusalem will be changed. Instead of hills, it'll be like a broad plain. What's it gonna look like? We don't really know. But we do know he'll rule from Jerusalem and he'll rule in the millennial temple. 
Uh, Ezekiel 40 through 44, I mentioned it earlier, gives us specific details related to the temple. In fact, Ezra, when Ezra uh, was encouraging the people of God to rebuild Zerubbabel's temple, um, in fact, I stepped into the student ministry this week and Pastor uh, Luke, Polly, was leading the students in the study of Ezra and they were talking about this. They rebuilt, Zerubbabel was rebuilding the temple and the old guys who remember Solomon's temple, they see the new temple that's being built and what do they say? They whip, they wept, they go, this is ridiculous. This is nothing. Because they remember the old temple. Now, do you not think that was probably pretty discouraging to Zerubbabel? I'm working really hard to build something here. And then you guys are weeping over it. And God comes to Zerubbabel and God encourages him and says, someday I'll build a temple the likes of which no one can comprehend. And he says this specifically, the latter glory will surpass the former glory. You know what God says to Zerubbabel? Don't worry about it. One day I'm gonna build a temple. You think Solomon's temple was glory? You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm gonna build my own temple. The likes of which will be beyond what we can comprehend. He'll rule from Jerusalem and the temple sacrifices will be offered. There's a temple, sacrifices will be offered. Why, why would sacrifices be offered? I think it's very similar to us today. We take the Lord's Supper. We're gonna do it in just a minute. We take the Lord's Supper. Why? To remember. And in the midst of the millennial kingdom, sacrifices at the temple be offered so that we can remind people, Jesus died. He's the perfect and beloved lamb of God. Israel will be a blessing to the entire world. Part of the reason that I hold this interpretation of Revelation is because the millennial kingdom is the place where all of God's promises to Israel come to fulfillment. That God promised them the land of Palestine. Have they ever truly had it? No. They will one day. God promised them that a descendant of David would sit on the throne. Is Christ going to rule on his glorious throne in the midst of the Yes, he is. God will fulfill. And Israel will be a blessing to the world. Scripture tells us that all the nations will bring their wealth to Israel. How does the world treat Israel today? You, you, you watch the news lately? The world does not like Israel. Uh, there's two groups of people that the world instinctively hates. Israel and who else? The church, Christians. The world instinctively hates the people of God. And yet in the midst of the millennial kingdom, Israel will be seen as the blessing of all the world because through Israel comes God's Messiah. Uh, Israel will be a blessing. Salvation of man. How will you be saved in the millennial kingdom? Same way as you are today. Salvation, remember this, it's always been about faith. In the Old Testament, they believed in a Christ who would come. In the New Testament, we believe in a Christ who has come. In the midst of the millennial kingdom, we'll entreat them to trust in a Christ that they can visibly see. How good is that? Creation will be freed from its curse. Creation longs to be freed. Uh, Paul said in Romans 8 that the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of man. Creation longs. You remember Jesus there riding in Jerusalem? He the, the, the Jewish leadership says, tell these people to stop singing. And he says, listen, if they stop singing, the rocks would cry out. Creation longs for its redeemer and the revealing of the sons of God. One day, uh, the lion will lie down with the lamb. It says in scripture, the hills will flow with sweet wine. It says the Messiah will tie his donkey to the choice vine. Why is it not wise to tie your donkey to a choice vine? Because the donkey will do what? He'll eat it. And the choice vine is valuable. That the picture in the millennial kingdom is that the abundance of prosperity is so great you don't even care. You let that donkey just eat away. And peace on earth. We pray, let, 
Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Men and women will finally live at peace with one another. Everyone living in humble submission to Christ. Men will beat their swords into plowshares. They're gonna be more interested in gardening than warfare. Um, There's a group of people who actually anticipate this. Who is it? It's the church. We are a group of people who are sinners saved by grace. We got no seating chart in the church, do we? No. That in the church, through Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And guess what we do? The one miracle that we do that demonstrates that we're the people of God is what? We love each other. Isn't that amazing? The world, this is why the unity of the body is so important. It's why, let me tell you something, you seek to stir up disunity in this church and we will hunt you down. It doesn't mean that you can't critique the church. Sometimes we need it. But if you seek to stir up division, you hear me today, the leadership of this church will encounter you. Because we have an obligation to demonstrate the love of Christ and the unity of the body as an anticipation. Guess what we get to do? We give the world a little glimpse of what the kingdom will be like. That our testimony is, as the world looks at us, how in the world can you have these people together in love? How can you have wildcats and jayhawks in the same church? And sometimes they sit together. How could you have Indiana and Purdue in the same building? I mean, how could that happen? Guess what we tell them? Jesus. We all come together through Christ, and it validates our testimony, and it anticipates. Remember this. The church is not the fulfillment of the kingdom. The church anticipates the kingdom. We give a glimpse of what's coming. Um, Folks, this this is what the world longs for. This is what the world desires. Uh, The world desires a a world that is dominated by righteousness and peace. So many people marching around upset about injustice. No more injustice. Naturally, man just longs for these things. We long for a ruler who will come and rule over us in peace and righteousness and bring unity. But where we differ is how you bring that about. See, John Lennon wrote a song, Imagine, didn't he? Got that, imagine, imagine this world, no guns, we all love each other. You know, the 60s, it's going to be great. But man can't bring it about, can he? Man can't do it. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. The Bible has a dream too. But in the Bible, it's not just a dream, it's truth. It's reality. And one day, it will come to fruition, but it only comes through one king, and his name is Jesus. See, this world instinctively knows that it's broken. In fact, all of us as individuals, I think we know we're broken, and we seek to, to do things to try to fix it. We, we want to fix the world. That's why people are so passionate about politics, because I think so many people, this is what should differentiate us. Listen, I'm not saying don't engage in politics, but we know politics is not going to usher in the kingdom. Amen? Y'all understand that, right? Yes. Keep it in its proper perspective. We engage politically, but you start putting your hopes in politics, it's a bad place to put your hope. The world's trying to do these things. That's why they believe it so passionately. That's why they get so angry about these things. Because they think if we could just vote the right people in, then we'd do it. If we could just pass a piece of legislation. Don't misunderstand me. These, it's not that though these things aren't important to us. They are. But we know ultimately they're not the solution. 
There is only one solution. His name is Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he rules in perfect peace and righteousness. And we are a group of people that today we submit to his lordship. And we know his peace in our heart. As he reigns in our hearts by faith. So some of you are here this morning. You're trying to break the curse. You're trying to fix yourself. You're trying all kinds of things. People, they try relationships. They think, well, boy, if I could just find that perfect spouse. I just told a group of men that I met with, meet with on Wednesday nights. I told them, brothers, you need to understand something. If you were looking for a wife to solve the problems of your life, you need to know something Marriage will not fix you. It will expose you. Can I get an amen from the married folks out there? It will expose you. That's why we tell these young men, marriage is not JV. Marriage is not B-team. It's varsity. Relationships won't fix you. And then they start thinking, well, then if we just had kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you just got a multitude of sinners in your home and it's a mess <laughs> people, people think wealth we were t Faith and I were talking about that this week the, um, you look at some of these pro athletes and you think what? are you kidding me why this, does, this doesn't make any sense and I said it makes perfect sense they were sinful before they got wealth and now they're sinners with wealth. Now they got more stuff to sin with. It should surprise us that more of it doesn't occur. None of these things will fix it. There's only one solution, and it's Jesus Christ. If you don't know him today, trust in him as king of kings. He's gonna rule one day. You can either worship him and glorify him in heaven or hell, but one day, every knee will bow. Do we have a hymn? We got a hymn. Bill, come on up. I got to move quick. We got communion. Anthony Showalter, Hartsell, Alabama. Anybody know where Hartsell, Alabama is? I know I got one lady right here that knows where it's at. Hartsell, Alabama. He was leading a singing school in a local church, and uh, he went home to his boarding house that evening and received letters from two of his students. He loved his students, taught a lot of young men to be worship leaders and pastors and uh, he received letters from two of his former students that informed him that their wives um, had passed away suddenly and they were just heartbroken and they wanted to let him know and ask him to pray for them. And so he was searching God's word for uh, a verse just to give them some comfort and, and peace. And he came across uh, Deuteronomy 33, 27 that says, the, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. And as he was pondering on that and finishing up the notes, he wrote the chorus of a song we all know, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. He passed that chorus along to a hymnist, Elijah Hoffman, who wrote the rest of the verses. Why would I pick this song? Because I don't know about you, but man, don't we long for that day, the times of refreshing? I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the spiritual warfare. I'm tired of the struggle with my own flesh. 
I want the times of refreshing to come. It's why we say, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. I don't know what you're going through today, but I would bet just about everybody in this room, you got some stuff going on in your life. Maybe some of it you brought upon yourself. Maybe some of it is just a result of living in a sinful world. But my encouragement to you today is as we wait for that day when we're raptured out, as we wait for Christ's return in the millennial kingdom, lean on the everlasting arms of Jesus. He's the one who got us to this point. He's the one who will carry us safely through. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this song. We're going to do the first and last verses. Hopefully you know it. If you don't, you're going to get to hear me, and that's not good, but try to sing along. Here we go, Bill. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessed peace, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. thank you for the promise of eternity with you through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, they trust in you today. They bend the knee to your lordship. They turn from their sin and repentance and they trust in Christ. Lord, for those of us that do know you, I pray that as we await that day when the trump shall sound, I pray that we would lean heavy upon your everlasting arms. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.